Today, we're starting a new series called Stewards. Now, every time we start be talking about stewards, uh, what's the very first thing you think of? Stewards. What's for What? Money, tithing. Well, make no mistake, we will talk about that. But that's not all that stewardship is about. Stewards is not uh, just about money. And today, and really throughout the rest of this year, we're going to have different messages that talk to us or, or hear from God about how we're supposed to be stewards. Today is the very first in the series, and, and it's the big picture about stewardship that we need to understand. Next week, Philip uh, Herring, our, our Minister of Education, is going to come and he's going to share uh, truth for us uh, about uh, the next step after this one, part number two. Uh, if, if we look at, at, at part number one, then we'll see a little bit better how we fit into the whole picture of stewardship. And next week is another one of those opportunities. Uh, but being a steward simply means this, okay? So here's a simple definition. A steward is a manager of other people's stuff. That's a simple definition. Uh, that's a simple definition in terms of the Bible, and it's a simple definition if you go to Webster's. A steward is someone who manages somebody else's stuff. When we look at Scripture, we see that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, been brought into the family of God, He has made us stewards of His stuff. So we are managers of what He owns and that which He has put under our care. Today, we know that it's more than just about money because we're also stewards of the gospel. All right, so the gospel is that very thing that when we heard it, we heard the good news that God in his love sent Jesus to die on a cross for a sinner like me uh, to, be, to be killed in my place so that I could find forgiveness for my sin, that Jesus was raised three days later so that I could have new life through him. When we heard that good news and received that good news as our own, by faith, trusting in Jesus, and repenting our sin, in that moment, we became stewards of the gospel. We became managers of the gospel. Now, the gospel doesn't belong to us as if we created it. The gospel is that creation of God's grace that you and I are supposed to steward out, distribute, help others take hold of. And that's one of the things that I mentioned last week. Last week, I talked about how that we need to, uh, as we approach Easter, we need to identify uh, individuals who have yet to cross the line of faith to become a follower of Jesus. And we need to identify these individuals in our life, uh, those who have yet to become a follower of Christ, identify them in our work or uh, in our community or at school, we identify the people who have yet to cross that line of faith so that we can be stewards of the gospel toward them, so that we can help them see and hear the gospel. Not only should we identify, but we should also invest. We identify specific individuals, and we invest our time, 
with them. We invest our energy and our resource and, and invest ourselves in them uh, so that we can build that relationship and maintain that connection uh, so that we can be a steward of the gospel, so that we can take the gospel that we have received and deliver it to them. So we identify people, we invest in those people that we've identified, and then uh, the third aspect is invite. And the reason we talk about inviting is because we believe that if you invite them here Easter weekend... Uh, and, and invite them to join us for one of the several uh, worship gatherings that we have, they will hear the gospel. They will hear the good news of Jesus Christ. One of the things that we do at Easter is we just focus in on how we can present the good news of Jesus Christ to individuals who have yet to cross the line of faith. We believe that the best way believers, followers of Christ, can celebrate and rejoice in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is by introducing those who have yet to meet him to the new life that he provides. And so on Easter weekend, we will present the gospel in a way and, uh, that they will hear, hopefully, prayerfully that they'll understand and give them an opportunity to receive Jesus, to choose Christ in that moment, to be rescued by him, to have their life transformed. So we want you to in identify individuals who have yet to cross the line of faith, invest your time and energy and resource in them, and invite them to come with you Easter weekend so that you can be a steward, a manager of the gospel in their life. Uh, we'll do our part. We identify, we invest we invite, we do our part, and then we let God do his part, and that's transform lives. So let's be faithful to be stewards of the gospel. A steward is a manager of God's stuff, and the gospel is God's supreme stuff. All right, So, so that's part of what we're going to be looking at. But you've got to begin with the big picture, and that is found in Psalm chapter 24. Being a steward... Uh, begins when we understand the simple premise of Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, the psalmist identifies clearly the big picture of what it means to be a steward. The simple truth is the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and all those who dwell in it. The earth and everything in it belongs to God. The world and all those who dwell in it belong to God. Now, as we look at Psalm 24, there's a big principle that, that, that we need to understand about stewardship. Okay? Being a steward simply means a faithful steward understands the way life works. We understand how life works. If we, if we fail to understand how life works, then we're not going to be a faithful steward. But if we understand the way life works, then we will be a faithful steward. Now, what do I mean by, by saying the way life works? That's what David was trying to get the people to hear in Psalm 24. He was trying to remind them and help them see the way life works. And the way life works begins with this simple principle that God owns everything. God owns everything. 
God owns everything. The coat that you're wearing, God owns it. That belongs to God. The shoes on our feet, that belongs to God. The hair on your head, or lack thereof, belongs to God. God doesn't get a 10%. God owns 100%. God owns everything. The house in which you live, God owns it. The car in which you drive, that's God's too. The hat on your head, the glasses on your eyes, the toilet paper you use, God owns it. The grass, that belongs to God. The snow, that's God's too. The trees, absolutely, that's God's. God owns everything. A faithful steward begins with this simple truth. God owns everything. God owns the business that you started. God owns the homework in the school in which you attend. God owns it all. God owns everything, including you and me. God owns you, and God owns me. I am not mine own. I belong to him. Now, most of us in the room today, we would give a hearty amen to the idea that God owns everything. After all, we are Bible-believing people, right? So we believe that God owns everything. The problem, however, for all of us, including myself, is not knowing that God owns everything. It's actually living in a way that reflects God owns everything. See, if we really believe that God owns everything, including me, including my time, including my talent, including my money, including my home, my car, the bike I ride, the clothes on my back, the clothes in my closet, if I really believe that God owns everything, it's going to change the way I live. It's not enough for us to sit in the safety and the warmth of this room and say God owns everything and act like the pew in which we sit belongs to me. No, no, God, God owns everything. God, God owns everything. including you and me. A faithful steward understands this, okay? In fact, stewardship's not going to work unless you understand that God owns everything and he's given you the opportunity to manage some of it. And this is good news about God. All through the Psalms, he talks about how that, and Proverbs, he talks about how that we've been given the opportunity to manage the stuff that he owns, he calls it good gifts, okay? And, and these good gifts that belong to him, but he passes on to us, we get to enjoy them. 
We have the privilege of enjoying them. Uh, this morning, I was out in the parking lot inviting people to come in, and I didn't have my coat on uh, and didn't have any kind of... Uh, 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 this was all I had. And, and some, uh, some one of you felt sorry for me as you were driving by. You didn't stop long enough for me to get in your car. But, <laughs> but you did toss out your earmuffs. And I used them. And I enjoyed them. And I wore them out there, and it helped me a little bit. Didn't do anything for this big empty spot I have on top of my head where all the heat evaporates. But it did help me here. And, and, and you know, when your ears are warm, that, that goes a long way in making your body warm. But anyway, so these earmuffs, I enjoyed them. I was able to take hold of them and use them, but these earmuffs don't belong to me. They belong to someone of you out there. These are yours. You just allowed me to enjoy them, to meet a need that I had, to look good in camo because that's back in style. So... When we think of all the things that we worry about every day, all the time that we have and, and, and how to navigate our time and time crunches, when we think about our, our money and the finances and all that kind of stuff, we need to begin with the simple premise, God owns it all. And that is really not mine. I can enjoy it. I have the privilege of, of, of using it, but... But it's not mine. It belongs to God. God owns everything. Now, the psalmist goes on, David goes on, and, and not only is he talking about God owning everything, but verse 2 gives us insight into another aspect of God's ownership. He says, For God has founded the earth and the world upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Now, I've I got to take you on a journey here and, and, and journey back in time the way people perceived and conceived the way the world was. A faithful steward understands the way the world works. He doesn't always understand all the geology and geography and science of the world. Because when David wrote this, the way he and others envisioned the world, it was a landmass floating upon primeval waters, the rivers and the seas. And you had these rivers and seas, and the land was set upon them. And what caused great consternation when there were upheavals and earthquakes and, and floods and torrents, people began to think, oh, chaos is about to win. The waters are roaring, and the world is going to be swept away. But David understood that the world was not going to be swept away because God had established it. He had founded it. He had set the pillars in place and he held the world secure on the waters. Anytime, especially in the Old Testament, you see this imagery of seas and waters or rivers and waters, you, 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 rivers and seas, you, you begin to uh, go back in time. And, and it's not just uh, the, the, the Elizabeth River flowing 
uh, in its estuary, right? It, it's not just the James River making its path through Virginia. Now, w- when you see rivers and seas, it's, it's talking about chaos, the unformed places of the world. It, it, it's scary places. Herein lie great monsters, and the waters themselves were monsters. The waters were these powerful forces of chaos. And throughout Scripture, when you hear the, the, the Scripture talking about the rivers and the seas, it's pointing us back to creation itself. It's pointing us back to when God, and only God, tamed the chaos. When He spoke and formed the world and he, and he put the waters above and below in their proper place and he held them there. See, verse 2 may say, sound so simple, but you've got to understand verse 2 is filled with significance. And the significance is this, that God and God alone tames the chaos. The lesson for us as stewards, if we're going to learn how God, how life works, we need to understand that God owns everything and we invite chaos when we forget his ownership and authority over our lives. We invite chaos when we forget his authority as the owner of all things. Okay, now here's the way it looks. Noah. We call it the story of Noah, Genesis 6 through 9, and we talk about Noah did this and Noah did that, but really it's the story of God and chaos being unleashed again. God removing his hand of protection and the waters coming unleashed. Now, why would God remove his hand and allow the waters below and the waters above to be chaotic again? It's because everyone except for Noah forgot God's ownership and authority. They they forgot that God owned it all, including them. They forgot God. The same thing is true for you and me. See, a faithful steward understands the way life works, and that means we understand that we invite chaos into our home when we forget God's authority. We invite chaos into our finances when we forget God's authority as owner. We invite chaos into our relationships when we forget God's authority as owner. We invite chaos into our work, into our school, into our thoughts and our actions when we forget God's authority. We all make this mistake as followers of Jesus. We do this. We begin to think that we have rights and privileges that we really don't have. And we, we begin to think that, that, that we are owed our due. We begin to think that 
we're sailing on the sea, and not only do we control the wind, but we control the waves. We, we begin to become very full of ourselves, and we forget that God owns everything, including us, including you, including me. And that's what gets us in trouble. Throughout Scripture, that's what the picture of Scripture is. When we recognize and submit ourselves to God's authority, then uh, smooth sailing on the waters because God is controlling the chaos. But when we move into the realm of disobedience, forgetfulness, that's when trouble strikes. That's when chaos is unleashed. We invite chaos when we forget that God owns everything, including me. But if we remember that God owns everything, if we remember that he owns me, that he bought me with a price, the very blood of Jesus Christ, when, when I begin to remember again and again that God owns everything and, and, and I owe him, he doesn't owe me, I owe him. When did we start deciding that God owed us? And when did we start forgetting that you and I owe God? See, a faithful steward understands the way life works. God owns everything. If I forget that, then I'm inviting chaos. But if I remember, then I'm inviting security. We invite security in our lives. When we focus our affection, our devotion, our allegiance on God. This means that I understand where I fit. I understand the way life works. God owns it all. He's allowed me to enjoy some of his stuff. And he's given me some assignments with some of his stuff. He doesn't owe me anything. But boy, I owe him. He's given me life. He's forgiven my sin through Christ. He's made me part of his family. He deserves, he demands our absolute affection. And that's what brings security. Security in our finances, security in our family, security in our relationships, security in our emotions, security in our mind and our thoughts, security Everywhere we go, wherever we are, we find security, not because everything's working out hunky-dory. We find security because we remember that our greatest affection is God himself. This is really what, what uh, David's getting at in verses 3 and 4 and 5. And just to summarize, he says, Who may ascend to your holy hill? But only the person who has clean hands a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul to an idol. Now those three phrases 
or sworn deceitfully, by the way. Swearing deceitfully is attached to uh, lifting your soul to an idol. Those three phrases, clean hands, that means you ditch sin. Your allegiance is not to sin, it is to God. Your, your allegiance is not to self, which, guys, that's where sin is born. Your allegiance is not to yourself, it is to God himself. Clean hands, pure heart. A pure heart means that your focus is supremely upon God. And not lift your soul to an island. It means that your heart is aligned with God. That means that you are wholly and completely giving your heart to God. It's interesting that the, the Hebrew term for idol there in verse 3. The Hebrew term for idol means empty. Can, can I just... Can I just help us all just a little bit here? Any idol, anything in my life that competes for my affection and drawing it away from God, any idol in my life is empty. It cannot deliver. It cannot satisfy. And it cannot complete me. Every idol leads to emptiness. But when we spend our time and our energy and our thoughts and our money on all these different things, and God's not part of that picture, are we not spending His stuff on an empty idol that will never satisfy. So today, really, the question for us is real simple. Not merely do I believe God owns everything, but do I live every day like He owns everything? Does my bank account reflect? I know God owns everything. Does my attitude toward others reflect God owns me? Does my attitude toward the things God asks me to do, does that reflect my allegiance and affection for Him? Does the way I spend my time, the way I spend my words, the way I spend my thoughts, and the way I spend my money. Is that a reflection of a daily conviction that God owns everything? Well, if you're like me at all, you got to say that you're not batting 100%. need to evaluate all these except for this moments.
See, God owns everything except for this little section of my bank account. God owns everything except for this little relationship I've got over here. God owns everything except for this little desire that I have stuck in my craw. God owns everything except for this little uh, pursuit or ambition that I've got over here. God owns everything except, well, you fill in the blank. Every little except that you've got, that's an idol. And boy, we've got to deal with those idols. See, until we understand the way life works, we can't be a faithful steward. And here's the way life works. God owns everything, including you and me. And if I fail to acknowledge his ownership and authority in my life, if I forget his ownership and absolute authority in my life, then I'll be swept away into chaos. But if I remember his authority and ownership over my life and I give him my absolute affection and allegiance, then I will be secure. So which one will it be for you? Will you be swept away? Or will you be secure?